Welcome to Tim Stodds FM, a place to share new ideas, speak freely, and continuously find ways to live our best lives. And now your host, Tim Stoddart. Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Tim Stoddart. Welcome to Tim Stodds FM. Thank you so much for joining me. Before we jump into this episode, let me tell you about my digital marketing coaching services to help people build a profitable business. Every day, I'm meeting more and more people with questions about how to grow their businesses. And so many of the people that I communicate with are smart and intelligent and hardworking people. But unfortunately, most of these people that reach out to me are struggling to find the results they want with their web traffic, with their online business, and with just growing in terms of revenue. It's not because of lack of effort, and it's not because these people are dumb or stupid. It's because most small business owners just haven't learned the skills necessary to build an effective market for their online business. And how would they? No one ever taught them. There aren't any college courses on SEO or social media marketing or email marketing. And this is the exact reason why I started my online marketing coaching program. I provide no-nonsense services. I educate my clients so that they, they get the knowledge and the know-how to continue growing their business on their own, even after we stop working together. One of the problems I see with other digital marketing services is that they don't focus their efforts. Instead, they focus on, quote, getting more traffic. But getting more traffic isn't the answer. It's all about getting the right traffic. It's all about finding your, your clients and customers who are interested in what it is that you have to offer. These are the services that I teach. Each client I work with will learn the ins and outs of building your online business and learning the skills of online marketing. Each week, we will have a one-on-one coaching session, and together, we will do a deep dive through your website, through your brand, through your competition, your SEO, your social media, your email, and we'll find the results that you're looking for. But the planning is just the beginning. Because remember, if we can't measure it, we can't manage it. And we use detailed analytics to get you the results that you're looking for. If you're interested in hearing more about my coaching services, please go to timstods.com slash coaching. Now let's get into the podcast. All right, my guest today is a gentleman named Hamish McKenzie. Hamish is the co-founder of a super exciting new platform called Substack. Substack is a paid newsletter service for anybody that wants to create a blog, that wants to build an online business um, off of a subscription model, that is excited about creating content but doesn't really want to get into advertising and, you know, diluting your content by putting banner ads and all that nonsense all over it. You need to sign up for Substack. The platform is simple. It's elegant, it's minimalist, and it takes all of the friction out of the, uh, out of the way so that your subscribers can easily sign up for your email list, can easily sign on board as a paying subscriber. 
this conversation was fascinating to me because Hamish and I have a lot of the same ideas about why um, ad-free content and subscription-based content is good for journalism and for independent publishers and just for the internet in general. Um, we, we had a like a, a really, really fascinating conversation and I know that you guys will get value uh, out of Hamish's thoughts and most importantly, I know that you will get value from Substack. If anybody listening to this kind of wants to start their own website, is thinking about starting their own blog but is intimidated by the the tech side of maybe publishing a WordPress site is and is intimidated by kind of the business side of, of, well, how do I sell advertising? How do I turn a business out of my blog? You need to create a Substack account. All of the links will be in the show notes. Uh, if you don't need the link, just go to substack.com. Now, enjoy this episode. I know you're going to love it. Please help me welcome Hamish McKenzie. Beautiful. Well, well Hamish, thank you so much uh, for coming on my show. I I really appreciate your time. Um, we're just kind of going to jump right into this. I, I wanted to start this episode uh, referencing an article that you had written, um, I guess it was about a year and a half ago, and it was actually the piece that I had found online that uh, introduced me to Substack in the first place, and that's why I, I created my own account. So the article is titled, Subscriptions are bad for democracy, no way. And I'm not going to read through the whole article, but um, I'll summarize in saying that your argument is that this whole free media, free content model of journalism, um, which, which is kind of dependent on ad revenue, um, is, I don't want to say it's, it's bad by any means, but it's, it's very fragile. And um, there's, there's some parts about it that are, are kind of fracturing all around us. And we've seen that by all the layoffs recently with uh, BuzzFeed and uh, the Huffington Post laid a bunch of people off. So I, I thought a good place to maybe start this conversation is to get a little bit more insight from you as to, you know, why you believe in kind of this, this paid subscription uh, newsletter service that, that you guys have built and that you've worked so hard on. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on the show. And uh, it's not just that I believe in uh, the paid newsletter service, but I believe in paid subscriptions being a good and sustainable model for journalism and not as some people have claimed in the past, a way that sort of prevents the less privileged from getting access to important news or information. I think uh, that paid subscriptions can support sustainable businesses and do it in a way that's positive for both the publisher and the consumer or the reader because under the paid subscription model the reader is the primary customer rather than an advertiser so if your reader is your primary customer you're trying to build the best product possible for them rather than trying to do something that might please uh, Louis Vuitton or BMW or Facebook or Google, which can be even worse. And um, that results in high quality media. And we're seeing that play out with the likes of Netflix, for instance, where mm. all these amazing shows are being created uh, that uh, might not have been created in the past because there's a different economic model supporting them. I, 
I, I'm, I agree with that 100%. Um, it's funny, and I've always been really curious about this, how with a lot of other different types of, of media, um, people haven't seemed to be very reluctant about paid subscriptions. I mean, I guess Spotify is another great example. You mentioned Netflix is another great example. What is it about, you know, just the written word or about newspapers that, at least in my viewpoint, there's been a little bit of reluctance. You think it's just that people are so used to getting their news for free that they almost expect it? Do you think that, do you think that it's like the advertisers who are used to getting this really, really cheap advertising on these publications? Why is there kind of, maybe pushback is too strong a word, but I'm going to go ahead and use that word. Why is there a little bit of a pushback on it? Well, there's a couple of things I'll say in response to that. And the first is that I'm old enough to remember <laughs> that there was pushback to the idea that you would pay for television or movies online as well, or music online. Before Spotify came along, people were downloading songs from LimeWire or Napster and the whole like music is going to have to be free sort of meme was dominant on the internet. Uh, then better systems came along that made it easy for people to pay and made it satisfying for people to pay and made better consumer experiences. And then people were happy to pay for music all of a sudden. People are happy to pay for Netflix all of a sudden. For a while there, it looks like we're all just going to have to put up with um, YouTube being the dominant distributor of uh, video content online. But that changed because things got better. In the past as well, I'm not so sure that people are inherently against the idea of paying for written stuff certainly in the last 20 years because the internet has created this false impression that the written word must be disseminated online only free otherwise you're committing some sort of evil uh maybe that has skewed our thinking a little bit but people were very accustomed to paying for magazines and newspapers and even printed newsletters uh, in the days before the internet came along. And by the way, people didn't sort of uh, furrow their brows and wring their hands about the end of democracy when those were mostly subscription products or products that you could buy off the newsstand like Time Magazine or the New York Times newspaper. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I, I think that you're right in um, it being like a little bit slower because you mentioned something in your first response about people not being um, as apprehensive as, as it may seem. And I think that maybe it's an American thing uh, because in China, and I read this statistic somewhere, you, you'll probably have a lot more information about it than me in, in terms of exact statistics or whatever, but almost the entire podcast market in China is built um, on subscriptions, uh, the, the subscription model, uh, and also just, what am I trying to say? People being willing to pay for stuff that they're actually interested in instead of being bombarded with content of all different like ideas and just as many people as possible and as many brands as possible kind of yelling information at them so that they can get clicks. Um, it, it seems like the media industry over in China is much more focused around the end user. Like what does the person actually want to read? What is the kind of content that they want to consume? And then they almost have more control of the kind of media that, that gets thrown their way. 
Um, and I think through uh, platforms like Substack that we're probably transitioning to that a little bit as well. I think you're right about that. I think in, Ch in China or, or the US, it doesn't matter. If you are given the opportunity to pay for something you love or find deeply interesting or deeply helpful, then you're not going to resent making that payment. It actually feels good. <laughs> and in, in China, yeah, what happened with the podcast market is that it became um, possible to subscribe to a person's podcast or a person's online education audio course and uh online payments in china are very simple because everyone's got wechat pay or it's called WePay or alipay which are these um very seamless easy to use mobile payment systems mm. you know people people kind of like skipped having credit cards and checkbooks and just went straight to an online ecosystem where they could pay for anything they want with the tap of a button on their mobile phone in china and so so it's not that people had an objection ever to paying for stuff that they loved. It's just um, maybe the barriers were high. And in the case of the United States and the internet um, evolving in the United States uh, first, and in the first 20 years of the internet, no like real good payment system was native to the internet. That meant that people went out and created these ad-supported models for media and content and habituated people to this idea that if you're going to be building a, uh, any sort of media business on the internet, you've basically got one choice and it, it's ad supported. But now the, now, the, now the payment systems are getting better. Stripe, for instance, has been a huge part of this revolution. And we use Stripe to power payments for Substack. And now, for instance, if you subscribe to a single publication on Substack, the next time you want to pub you subscribe to a publication um, that's from someone else, somewhere else through Substack, it's just going to be one click. So you lower the friction and you make it easier to do something that people are happy to pay for and you'll see a lot more people doing that. That doesn't mean that like free content will all go away and everything will switch to paid, but it will mean that paid content has a much better chance and there will be a lot more high quality content serving niches in the future than there has been in the past. I think that's a great way to put it. There'll be high quality content serving specific niches. And I think the most important thing for me and for the people that listen to my podcast is that it's a better business model for like the independent blogger or the independent content creator because I mean, gosh, if you did maybe went on to Google Trends, I bet the search term like how do I make money from a blog, right? Gets like millions and millions of searches because uh, the, our society is, is more entrepreneurial and, and the internet is almost kind of this breeding ground for, for small personal brands and personal businesses. But just because you make content and just because you make, get traffic doesn't necessarily mean that uh, there's revenue from it. And so I think there's been this really big problem and this big gap with people that are, are writers or, or maybe YouTubers or, or whatever kind of content they create, where the only thing that they can think to do to try to revenue their, to try to build revenue from their, their ideas and their content is just to put ads on it. But 
when you do that, like you said before, one, you're going to dilute the message because then the person that you have to please isn't necessarily the, the, end, the person reading it. It's the advertiser. And two, advertising like, is kind of a, it's a tough way to make a living because clicks on the internet aren't worth a whole much, uh, aren't worth a whole lot. Impressions are worth barely anything. You know, I've seen websites that get 100,000 hits a month barely making it so that the person that runs it can get ends meet. And it shouldn't be that way. And if you compare that to a, 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 you know, a, a Substack, for instance, where somebody's able to build their brand and build their traffic to where they get 100,000 readers a month and maybe 10% of them are people that are willing to pay for some premium content, like a, a potential business owner can make a real living doing that. And I think that's, I think that's like an exceptional, powerful uh, tool and an advantage point that that your subscription model has. Yeah, thanks. I agree with you. Um, I think, and I think there's kind of two points to that as well. It's like there's a practical level that um, applies and a philosophical level. And on the practical level, level, if you're an independent creator or a blogger or a podcaster, you're either going to take some ads from an ad network like Google or some other service like that and help that. I hope that um, you get enough impressions that um, you're going to get some pennies shared with you by the ad server. So um, in that, in that world, only the people who get critical mass of traffic can Mm -hmm. really get by, or you're going to have to go out and sell your own advertising as often happens with independent podcasts at the moment, in which case you're spending a lot of your focus and time trying to convince corporations or some other types of groups to give you money instead of focusing your time and energy on the thing that matters most, which is producing great content for the people who, who love your work. And so on the practical level, advertising is a bad way to monetize for the end for the independent. And on a, philosophical level like is this really what we want to be doing uh helping some other thing some other entity sell more stuff by putting ads against our content and then playing this game where to get the sort of money that you need to survive from ad revenue you do things that will appeal to people's attention so you do something that might in the best case totally delight people and make them feel joy or in the worst case make them feel rage because that's what gets attention and that's like humans are pretty hackable psychologically and so twitter and and facebook at the moment are kind of these rage machines and because that's what helps get attention and that's what um, drives up traffic which helps advertising uh, dollars flow in and that's a terrible world to live in and it's kind of the world we're living in right now the things that get attention are not things that make us feel good about ourselves or feel better about our lives or help us make progress as a, as a society. They're just, um, you know, we live in this world where Google and Facebook and, and, and Twitter get to have all the online ad dollars because of these machines that optimize for our worst instincts. Whereas we could be um, trading off some of that reach perhaps, but serving a devoted audience better and getting money from that audience so that the audience is the thing that funds our work rather than an attention machine. 
I, I love how you broke it down for attention. So I'll go on a mini rant here and I, I won't go too long, but I think this kind of fits into the conversation because I, I believe in this concept a whole lot, which is another reason why I was so excited to, to have you on my show. So in you know online marketing and online entrepreneurship, whatever, there's this strange idea that attention is like the currency, you know? And so a byproduct of that is, I'm basically repeating what you said, like psychologically hackable headlines, you know, things that grab your attention to the point where you just can't not click on it. You know, ooh, what's this about? Because it either enrages you or just makes you feel some kind of emotion where I would love to see on a, a philosophical level, like you were talking about, where it's not so much the attention, it's almost like the value and the focus of a particular person. Because when you're making those kind of headlines, you're basically trying to just get it in front of as many people as possible. Because you know that humans on a general level can be you know, manipulated by, by headlines of that sort. But what Substack does is makes it so that you don't have to be in front of everybody. You can find the people that like really just get value from your work and from the things that you have to say and, and some of the ideas that you bring to the table. And God, that's just such, I mean, that's like a, a much better internet, <laughs> you know, like that, that makes the internet a better place. At least I believe so. Totally. With a newsletter, for instance, that you have to make an intentional choice to sign up to get stuff from the person you're subscribing to. With Twitter or Facebook, you kind of just like refresh your feed and like look for the, little, the next sort of dopamine hit because you're basically in the state of mind where, where you're looking for candy. You're just grabbing the, the nearest candy off the shelf it's basically an addiction mindset. And so the stuff, mm-hmm. you're get, the stuff you're getting is not enriching your life. It's, well, often it's not enriching your life. Sometimes it does. And it's not because you made a deliberate choice in the best version of yourself to get that stuff. It's because you're, you're there anyway, and you, and, and you, like, anyways, and you're grabbing candy. With a newsletter, you're making like, it's your best version of yourself. You're more considered. You're thinking, do I really want to have this as part of my life? So if you sign up for it, you're making a big decision. And that's a high value relationship already that the writer has with you. And then if you choose on top of that to pay money to that writer, you're sending the strongest signal possible that you really value this person's work. And that not only enriches the person who produces the work, but creates this really good trusted relationship between the publisher and the consumer that creates a a positive feedback loop rather than the kind of addiction state that we all live in most of the day mindlessly through our relationships with social media. No, I I love it. And gosh, this, I'm not usually so like, um, promotional in, in my podcast. I, I, I really mean that, but I'm, I'm such a fan of the style and the philosophy uh, because I, I, I talk to my audience a lot about the value of email. 
And you said it just then where it's the actual act of me being interested in your work and me taking it upon myself to sign up for it. It's, it's, it's an intentional act on my part. And when you get permission to be in somebody's inbox, there's this, it, it's strange to talk about digital stuff on such like a, a, a permission and like an emotional level, but there is like more of an emotional connection with inbox as opposed to social media where you're just pushing stuff in front of people. And, you know, like I said before, you're just, you're saying here, look at this here, look at this. But I I always advocate email and this world with social media marketing. And, you know, every time I look, there's another like social media expert and another person selling online courses (laughs) about social media. And, you know, I'm not knocking anybody's living, but in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking to myself, like, man, it's just against common sense because just that physical act of me typing in my email address and giving you permission to say like, Hey, I dig what you're doing. I want to read more. Like that connection is so much more powerful. I I would take a thousand email subscribers, honestly, over like 10,000 Facebook likes in a heartbeat. I wouldn't even think twice about it. Totally. And and your inbox, like not to get too overwrought about it, but your inbox is kind of an, an intimate space. Like you don't just let anyone into your inbox. It's, it's a trust signal. Like I trust you to come in here and not abuse the special space I'm giving you in my life. And so that is a really high value thing for a, for a publisher to get a piece of. Um, um, and, and on top of that, like email um, being this direct unmediated platform that can't be owned or controlled by any one platform or any one employer or any one algorithm just makes it super powerful. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it's a total asset to own as a creator, a mailing list. The mailing list is something that makes you almost anti-fragile in a way, because no matter what happens in the volatile media industry where you might be out of a job or your publication might be closed down or, you know, you get, deprioritized by Facebook's algorithm. So suddenly the posts on Facebook that used to bring you lots of traffic aren't getting noticed anymore. Then you still have this direct, valuable, trusted relationship with the people who care most about your work because they've given you their email addresses. And so that's something we kind of feel is sacred within Substack. And so on Substack, like we always say, you own your mailing list. We're not trying to put ourselves as Substack, the, the platform in between you and your readers, you own it and you can take it with you anytime you want. And it's up to us to prove enough valuable to like keep uh, enough value to keep using Substack because so many platforms, especially in Silicon Valley's recent history have made their money by putting themselves in between the publisher and the reader. And it's in the interest of neither. It's such an important point. Um, you know, I've, I've said a few times that a huge mistake pe- people make is building their brands on social media platforms. And, you know, again, it's not to say that like Instagram or, or anything like that doesn't have power, but so I'll tell you a story. I, I got a lot of my um, marketing chops, so to speak, from a website that I started about, about eight years ago. And 
when I when we first started it, this was when Facebook just came out and we spent all of our time building our Facebook page. And it was awesome because the algorithm was what it was. And you know, we got up to like fifty thousand likes and I would stay up all night writing blog posts and I would post something and then I could pull up the Google Analytics and I would look at the live traffic and I would just see all the people coming to my site and be like, wow. And then what do you know? The old famous most baller bait and switch in history happened. (laughs) Facebook just decided that they weren't gonna put my stuff in front of my audience anymore. And it I remember being pissed about it, but then I realized that Facebook doesn't owe me anything. It's their website. Like they can do whatever they want. And it was my fault for not owning my audience. And the whole concept that you just talked about, there's no middleman in between me and my email list. There's nobody that can control uh, my reach. There's no algorithm updates I have to worry about as a publisher. Like that's, it's, it's hands down the most valuable thing you can have. Like what's the expression? The money is in the list, right? An email list is just the most valuable thing you can have. And I think because it's not, I don't know, it's not sexy and it doesn't really come with hashtags and you can't really take selfies with it that people don't see the value in that. And I, I feel really passionate about that because I've seen that happen a lot of times where people build brands on third party platforms and then they get it all taken away from them. Yeah, I think increasingly people are seeing the value in it and media organizations and Me especially, especially are going in all in on newsletters. But it is, it is to happen that in the last 15 years or so, we've just been too excited to chase the shiny, hypey things yes. that, um, that look good in a moment. Like first it was Facebook and then it was Twitter and then it was Instagram and Snapchat and now it's TikTok and all the forces and all the peer pressure and all the like um, groupthink pushes us into these platforms and a bunch of uh, hashtag influencers come out of the woodwork to tell you how to succeed on these platforms because it's a bit of an industry. You can make money by being a huckster in those areas. Yeah. And, but email is, is one thing, but yeah, you know, you're, you're like a, a surf in, in those kingdoms. You, you, you have no say you're just like, you're a pawn and, and you're the, your, your interests as someone trying to build a business, uh, are the first thing that's going to get sacrificed when one of those platform owners decide they need to make more money in the next quarter. But with email, it's just simple and transparent. It's definitely unsexy, but I would argue unsexy is exactly the quality you want in this current era of the media. media. I would too. Um, so, all right, we're on the same page with that stuff, obviously. Um, I, I love your philosophy. I love your mindset on it. Let me make a a quick transition and and sort of give you an opportunity to talk a little bit more about some of the the features, the the nuances of Substack, of the platform itself. Uh, More specifically, you guys just introduced the ability to insert audio and insert podcasts into your newsletters and your subscription model as well. Um, One, I want to know why you decided that was an important investment because that's what it was. I'm sure it took a lot of work uh, to make that when, you know, you, you probably could have just 
kept your newsletter model and rode into the sunshine with it. And two, I also want to know, like, has this audio boom, does that kind of fit into what we were saying before with, with people owning their audience? Or do you think that's something that we have to be careful of as well? Yeah, let me, uh, I'll answer those in order if I can remember everything. <laughs> I, yeah, um, that was a loaded question, man. Yeah, I set you up yeah. with that, sorry. No no worries, but to like the most simple way to get to it is that Substack, our whole thing is that we want to make it dead simple for a writer to start a, a paid subscription email newsletter. So that means when you, when you start on Substack, you can just publish a post right away that goes to your Substack website and is simultaneously emailed out to everyone on your mailing list. And for each post, you can choose, is this free for everyone? In which case, anyone can read it and it can be shared around social media widely. Or is it only for my paying subscribers? Is it only for the people who uh, paid to be here? In which case, it just gets emailed to those people and on your website, it's um, behind a paywall. And that model works so well because you, you can use your free content as essentially your advertising because it's... You, you hope that your free content is the stuff that helps people discover you and then fall in love with you. Mm. Like just, just totally get your voice and point of view and want to hire you to have more of that in their life. And then the paid content is the stuff that makes it all sustainable. And it, those are your most loyal and devoted readers and they're happy to pay. And then they, you get to have a deeper relationship with them. And you also get this thing that makes your business sustainable. So we've seen that working so well that we thought and have always suspected that this could be something that works for media, like media other than text. And so audio seems like a pretty interesting thing to try. The reason we did it now is because we had one of the top publishers on Substack. His name is Anthony Pompliano. He's got a newsletter called Off the Chain. I saw that. He, yeah, he, he came to us and said, I want to do... Uh, subscription podcasts uh, I'd love to do it through Substack if this is something you guys are interested in um, let's talk about it and we're, we're already sort of waiting for someone to come along with a request like this so we could have the excuse to build this feature <laughs> and, so, and, so, and so we did it and he's been doing these daily updates uh, which is actually really interesting because they're like short form podcasts they're more like audio letters he's doing like five minute updates at the end of the day sort of recapping what went on in, the, in crypto news. And we li really love that form format. And it's helped add value for his existing subscribers and bring in a bunch more people who may not be interested in reading so much, but love audio and love that format. So it adds value in that way. But we're also interested in where it could take paid subscription podcasts. At the moment, podcasts... Uh, uh, you know, podcast monetization only happens through advertising. Yeah. Um, it's not quite as bad as the world where um, Google and Facebook control the whole advertising market. And so these, and, and there's, it's all about the attention economy on social media, it, but it's still like, un, it's not ideal. You still have to um, interrupt your serious podcast in some cases with a message from the sponsors. And it does, it might be a good monetization uh, model for some people. And, and there might be zero conflicts for some people, but not for all people because it does, having an ad does invite at least the appearance that you might be making some compromises, that you don't have total intellectual freedom, that you're not completely independent. And so we think that subscriptions ought to have a place in this market as well. 
and um, we like the Substack model and think it can work for for podcasts. And so we're putting it out there and just seeing what happens. I think it could work too. I, I think it's so cool. I mean, like I, I just think it's the coolest thing that you're giving because it it makes the barrier to entry for people that have an idea or something that they want to talk about so much lower. Um, we're, we're all yeah. lucky enough to be in this time where if you want to start a podcast and you have a smartphone, like you can literally do it and you can do it pretty well. I mean, the audio quality in yep. microphones is in phone microphones is pretty damn good. And um, you, you can just upload it to whatever. I, I, I think, and this is going to be a statement as much as it's a question. I almost kind of want your, your feedback on it. I think for the subscription type thing with podcasts, it probably is going to lean towards being more educational. I have a hard time seeing people signing up for subscriptions. I'm sure it'll happen, but I think with podcasts, like the kind of entertainment talk show type deal will probably still exist on an ad model. But I I think those kind of educational podcasts where people are, are really, really learning something, they're they're learning a skill, they're learning a craft. I mean, I don't know, maybe like a history type podcast. I feel like those are the ones that are probably going to succeed really well with, with the subscription model. What do you, what's your take on that? I think it's, that's a reasonable uh, guess. Like none of us know the future. Yeah. Um, I could see educational stuff working ra- really well. I could see some entertainment stuff working really well, depending on the creator. Um, and it's not like with the Substack model, I think there's always going to be um, some free components and we're, we're in, in the same way as uh, newsletters work on Substack. Mm-hmm. The, free stuff, the free stuff helps you build your audience and reputation and then the paid stuff goes to the people who want more. And uh, I, think, I think what people are willing to pay for is the sense of a relationship with someone who they trust. And so... Uh, a podcast in this world, like the Substack world, let's call it, might not be the you know, like what we understand podcasts are today. It might be something that feels a little bit more raw. It feels a little bit more like an unfiltered access to someone's brain. Mm. So it might be just like, I have a newsletter that I follow and it's written by this guy, Tim. And I love Tim's voice. I love the way he looks at the world and I can't get enough of what he's publishing. And so um, I want to, I want to feel like I have, I want to feel like he's talking to me as a friend, not as if he's broadcasting something that I happen to be lucky enough to listen into. And so in that case, I think it doesn't, it's, it doesn't, I'm not convinced that what's going to work under the Substack model is only stuff that feels very produced and professional, but it could be something as simple as Tim speaking into his phone at the end of the day and saying, here's my response to that big speech I just saw, or here I am from this protest in the middle of the city reporting on what I see going on around me. And it's going to be more off the cuff and it's going to be more unfiltered and it's going to feel like more of a real relationship because of that. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident that people will be happy 
to pay for that sort of experience. Wow. I, I guess I never thought of it that way. This, this might be a, a, a strange um, comparison, but it's very similar to kind of the streaming world. Um, I, I just did a, a podcast the other day with a, a pretty popular esports streamer. And a lot of how that works is people just feel like they have a relationship with these streamers because yeah, you get them, you get to watch them play, but you also just kind of get to hear them talk shit and, and explain their thoughts on, on a certain thing. And although streaming is built a lot more on donations, um, you know, just it's semantical really call it a subscription, call it a, do- a donation, whatever, but that it's not like a, a polished, high publication type piece of audio it's it's very raw like you're just kind of getting into the mind of of your favorite streamer and and when you mentioned that that way i mean that's extremely insightful i think that has a, a big chance of of working actually i i think i think that comparison is very apt i think twitch is big for a reason twitch is good for a reason um and i i think the sort of the underlying fundamentals there are the same. It's not, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, you subscribe for the relationship. You don't subscribe for the stuff. Totally. Totally. Um, this is great. While, while I've been talking to you, I've, I've had a couple just sort of questions pop in my mind that are, are a little off topic, but you seem, obviously you're very passionate about what it is that you're building and you seem to have, um, just, opinions about all of this <laughs> was this like the uh what, what was the catalyst to get this going i mean starting something like this is no easy feat and you guys are probably the the biggest paid newsletter subscription model uh that there is and god like where where did what was the moment where like you had the idea for this and then where was the moment where you said like you know what we're gonna go for it Oh, it started off with two of us. There, there are four of us on the team now. Um, There's only four of you guys on the whole team. Yeah, yeah, we're trying to keep things pretty lean. <laughs> wow, you must be busy. <laughs> we're, we're busy, but it's so fun that it doesn't, it doesn't, it never feels like a burden. I love um, it. The, um, well, I'm a journalist. Well, I was a journalist, and um, one of the things I used to do was write for a technology news site called Pando Daily. And I used to write about all these uh, companies that were trying to like save the media and do various models that kind of like got close to being good and never quite worked out. And so I saw a lot of things come and go and I saw a lot of hope build up and then disappointment result. And I've also at the same time, like, you know, as a journalist, seen a lot of my peers losing their jobs and publications that I've worked for and written for and that all my friends have worked for and written for shut down. And people in the media business just freaking out because there's no, you know, there has been no obvious solution for how to stop this uh, rot in their business. And it's not the, the impact of that is really serious because it's not just that a bunch of people lose jobs and, you know, journalists don't have anywhere to work anymore, even though that's really bad. It's also that the thing that has arisen to take its place is this attention economy that I was ranting about before where, people spread fake news and um, divisive stuff online and um, outrage becomes the, the biggest vessel for information. Um, 
And so I was already exercised about those things. And it so happens that a guy who I worked with um, at a messaging app called Kick, who was, uh, his name is Chris Best, he, he was exercised about the same things. And he, he had co-founded Kick and was a chief technology officer there. He'd seen so many ups and downs with that company and um, uh, it ended up being a huge company with a billion dollar valuation and then, um, and then sort of faded a little bit against uh, Facebook and Instagram mm -hmm. and WhatsApp, which is all just Facebook. Um, but he eventually decided to step away from Kirk and under completely good conditions had been there for eight years and was taking a year off. And he was writing about his frustrations with what was happening in the media. And he shared this kind of draft essay with me asking for, for my feedback. And, and I was saying, yeah, you're identifying all the right problems, which is all the stuff we discussed. And everyone in, in the media industry actually knows that these are the problems. But the thing that people don't know is how to do anything productive about it. Like, what, is, what are some potential solutions here? Because it's incumbent upon you as the writer of this essay to put some ideas forward. <laughs> and, and so rather than finishing the essay, we just actually started brainstorming stuff and talking about ideas. And something that we knew works, but not many people were doing was this paid newsletter model. And we knew it worked because we're both subscribers to this guy named Ben Thompson, who writes a of paid course. newsletter. Yeah, so you, lots of people know Ben, writes a paid newsletter about technology business, technology industry business models. He does it from like his spare bedroom in Taiwan. It's been a one man business, although I think he's hired an assistant now, that he built up really large. And uh, he charges 10 bucks a month or $100 a year He's got many thousands of subscribers and, and he's been telling anyone who had listened for ages that other people should try this model because it works really well. But we were like, why, isn't, why aren't there more people trying this model? And thinking about it for a bit, we just thought, well, maybe it's just too much of a pain in the ass to set up your own system where you have to make a blog, talk to uh, a mailing service, talk to a payments provider, and you have to do your own hosting and you have to do your own subscriber management and you have to do your own customer support. And we talked to a couple of other people, like one guy, Luke Timmerman said when he started his paid newsletter, he thought it was going to be 90% of the time he'd focus on the journalism and 10% of the time it would be dealing with all the back end shit. And it turned out that the reality was it was 60, 40. Mm. And so, and so our, our thought was like, what if we just took away that 40%? What if we just made it so that a writer, wouldn't have to be a tech wizard or a business wizard. They could just focus on the writing and click a button and our stuff would do everything else for them. So now our pitch to writers is, well, podcasters is um, you just uh, it, like, let us take care of everything except the hard part, which is creating the content itself. So we let people focus on that hard part. And um, that's where it all stemmed from. Just like this one simple idea basically taking Ben Thompson's model and making it more accessible. That is so cool. Uh, how long did it take for you guys to actually code it? Well, it didn't take any time for me because I don't know how to code. <laughs> so, That's why I asked. <laughs> uh, it's just lucky that Chris is a genius. <laughs> so he, he spent several weeks in his, um, in his bedroom at home sort of surviving on stale bread and water and um, had a prototype done after a few weeks and we've iterated from there and added a couple of other like exceptionally talented developers. Um, and one is Jiraj Seti and one is Nathan Bashez. And 
those guys have built the product as it is today. And it's just a constant process of sure. iteration and improvement. That is so cool. What is, I, so obviously I follow Substack on Twitter and I see a lot of um, people are, are signing up every day for it. And, and that's all really, really exciting. But I, I'm curious, what was like, did, did you guys ever have a moment where you saw like a success story of it working and you, cause when you're starting a new business and I'm sure you can relate to this, you have an idea, you have a business plan, everything looks good, but you can't help but think like, Oh man, I, I, I really hope like this works out because there's uncertainty involved, you know? And then for me, I, I have a few personal moments where I kind of was able to just sit back and be like, damn, like I, I think we're really doing something here. I, I think this is working. Do you have any moments like that do you, that you recall? Yeah. Well, first of all, congratulations to you. That's awesome to hear. And, and like, I know that that moment feels special yeah. for, for, for us. Um, for us, it was the first publisher we worked with, we're, which is one of the reasons that convinced us to go hard on this. Basically we, you know, we didn't know what this was going to be when we just set stuff up and sort of thought we'd see how it goes and maybe it will be something, maybe it wouldn't. But we, I knew this guy from 10 years ago whose name was, um, actually he's from the present, but 10 years ago I first met him. <laughs> His name is Bill Bishop and he writes a newsletter about China called Cynicism. Yeah, that's Cynicism, yes. right? Yeah. And I, I used to live in Hong Kong and I knew him from my days in Hong Kong. And he oh, wow. In Beijing. And um, he had this amazing newsletter that was really like a, a daily cheat sheet for anyone who cared about what was going on in China especially politically or economically or um, in technology. Um, and he had written it for five years for an audience of that time. He'd built it up to about 35,000 people and he'd never charged money for it. He'd done a couple of donation drives where he got a bit of money, but uh, he couldn't figure out a really a way to get rich from it uh, or even make it just modestly sustainable. Mm -hmm. But then he kind of got talked into adding paid subscriptions by Ben Thompson. And so he was going to launch his paid subscription newsletter and had been talking about it. And I'd been reading his newsletter and I said, well, we're just building this new company um, based on this whole idea. Would you be interested in being the first publisher? And he was like, all right, let's give it a shot. <clears throat> and then we did it and got him up and running as the first publisher with our really janky first version of the system. And then on day one, he turned on, on, you know, he turned on the paid subscriptions and on the first day he was already in the six figures of revenue. So he'd gone from um, making no money from his newsletter to instantly having a business. And wow. at that point, at, at that point we thought, okay, this is powerful. This could really be something. Uh, let's get serious about it. So Bill Bishop has been, on Substack since the very day he turned into a, a I mean, for those of the that don't know, I'm a big newsletter fan. Bill Bishop's newsletters is pretty iconic in the world of people that follow that stuff. I mean, one, it's ridiculously informative. If you want to know anything about the, the business world or the culture of China, um, follow his newsletter. But also from like a, just the amount of paid subscribers he has, I mean, he's, he's really killing it. You know, like, I don't know the exacts of his, of his business, but he's really killing it. So he's been on Substack since the very moment that he, he turned into a paid model. 
Yes, and here was the first publication to launch on Substack. So from wow. like October 15th, 2017, uh, Bill's been there since day one, and he's had such a, he had such a good experience that right away he asked if he could uh, be an investor in Substack. So we even took in a bit of investor money, so he's kind of officially part of the Substack family. That's amazing. Congratulations on that. That is like such an awesome story. And, and also it's, it's not a surprise to me. Um, speaking personally, when, when I signed up for a Substack account, I, I, you guys have a Slack channel and I was messaging on the Slack channel, like, Hey, this looks really, really cool. And like, I already have a newsletter. You know, I, I kind of used my newsletter to sell services. Um, but I was interested in it because as a writer and a content creator, having like paid subscribers is kind of like the dream, you know? And so yeah. I, I asked on your Slack channel uh, if anybody had some good experiences. And I spoke to a gentleman who I still talk to. I have his email address. He had a newsletter for running, which like you said, is just a super niche thing. And um, not everybody in the world runs, but you don't have to speak to everybody. You just have to find other people that like running. And uh, he was really generous totally. with, with his information and, um, and, and he told me the same thing. He'd been running this kind of paid thing forever, just sort of a passion project. And then he, he took the risk and he, he went paid and now it's, it's his full-time job. And I just think stories like that are, are so amazing, man. So like congratulations on what you've built, but also congratulations on like what you're building for other people because it's, it's such like an attainable thing for people to do. Thank you. Yeah, I think the congratulations deserve mostly to go to the writers who are doing this stuff because they're making the world better with by by producing great stuff for people who who need it or want it. And and I think what the point you're making there is that the economics for subscriptions can work really well in, in this independent creator model because you don't have to have huge numbers. You don't need to go out and get millions of blog view, uh, you know like views for your blog posts. You can have what Kevin Kelly would call like your thousand true yep. fans yep. if you get a thousand people paying you uh, 50 or 100 bucks a year that's enough to to live on and and, and you it can grow that uh interest base or subscriber base from there and and do better than just getting by sure i love it man well well hamish thank you so much for your time i i truly truly enjoyed this conversation i i love what you guys are doing i'm gonna do all i can um, to tell other people about it. Uh, before you sign off, I'm, I'm hoping you could give kind of like a, a, a one minute little directions on if, if somebody's interested in, in opening their Substack account, like where do they go? How do they sign up? I'll just give them a, a quick demo on the process. It's easy. Uh, just go to substack.com and click start publishing. And if it, if it isn't obvious from there what to do, uh, write us a message and tell us that we're not doing our jobs right because we need to improve the system <laughs> if that's the case. But yeah, substack.com. And thanks also for the conversation. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, me too. Um, I will link all of what we talked about on the show notes. I'll have uh, Off the Chain and I'll have uh, Bill Bishop's newsletter in there and, and some of the other things we talked about. Uh, thank you to everybody that listened to the podcast. I, I appreciate you guys as always. Um, Tell a friend about my show if you get any uh, value out of what I'm doing. Hamish, thank you one more time for being on the show. I'll talk to you guys next week. See you later. Thanks. Thanks.
Hey guys, it's me. It's Tim. One last time before we wrap up, just wanted to say thank you for tuning into the podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes. Please leave me an honest rating. Please follow me on Spotify. It's the best thing you can do to support the show. If you want to find out more, go to timstods.com. Feel free to fill out the contact form to reach out to me personally. I always respond. I appreciate you guys so much. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.